you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. This is episode 122 on june 19th don happy father's day buddy happy father's day terry you have a good day i did um it, very busy um but that's that's my life this time of year um it, it's just um for those of, i'll get this out of the way now for those of you who have emailed me called me text me and i have not responded i apologize um i i'm not exaggerating i i really don't have a spare minute of time this time of year so i hope you uh have patient with me patience with me i'll, I'll get back to you as soon as i can well i'll tell you what if there's anybody i've met that's more busy or busier however you want to say it busier than i am it's you <laughs> And uh, Dwayne and I talk about it all the time, and we don't see how you even uh, stop to eat as much as you got going on. Yeah, I don't think you have time to eat or sleep. Yeah, from the from June first till the end of July, I'm that that's you know you have consulting season where you're running like crazy, going all over the place, and a lot of windshield time. Uh, from the from the beginning of June to the end of July is is my crazy time, but. Uh, um, like, fa- like what father's day is about, I'm only going to have these kids at home uh, a short period of time. So, uh, had a good weekend and, uh, got a lot done today. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, following up to see if you had any luck on buying a farm, but I think, um, did you, did you have to do any spraying or anything this week or did you, uh, the only farmer? thing, the only thing I did on my plots this week was, uh, you know, we're in the midst of a drought. I mean, terrible drought. And I'd planted those uh, pumpkins, you know, after yeah. we got the pumpkin question a couple of weeks ago, went out and planted pumpkins and they had not seen one of them little hills of pumpkins and uh, checked them this afternoon and they are coming up. So I should have some pumpkins yeah. uh, this fall. So. Well, I went to uh, go spray my corn and beans this weekend and... Uh, we both have one of those, um, I think you bought one not too long ago, but I've had it for a couple of years. One of those Femco sprayers that you lay in the back of the bed of your ATV or side by side. And it's not a big round tank. It's a, it's a, a short square rectangle. So it lays in the bed and it has a boomless sprayer. They work fantastic. And I have had zero problems with mine, um, but I needed my side by side a few weeks ago from when I sprayed my uh, residual before I planted went to put it back in the back of the side-by-side and I don't know what happened, but the whole side of the, um, the casing of the pump was cracked. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know if, uh, I backed into it with zero turn while it was leaned up against the barn. Uh, it it rolled over. I'm not sure, but so, um, believe it or not, uh, three trips to tractor supply (laughs) 
to try to find parts and fittings and it was a whole ordeal. I was back up and going finally today and was able to spray my beans and corn today. So my food plots look fantastic. We were hot all week this week, which really shot the corn up because we had a lot of moisture in the ground. Um, so um, two of my test plots are already knee high on corn. So I'm doing really well here, uh, but we're going to be really hot again this week. Oh, well, I'm doing really terrible here. Um, well, we haven't had a rain, a good rain in a month. Now this week we had a storm come through and I thought, man, this is a can't miss storm. Well, I, I got four tents and if just about three miles to the south of me, they got two inches and down at Effingham, which is probably 20 minutes from me to the south, they got five inches in one morning. Now, I don't need five inches, but uh, that two inches would have been really nice. Yeah, but instead, five, you know, five it was inches, dry. But five inches, you would have had a creek out of the bank and lose lost a food plot anyway. Right, but uh, I could have sure used that two inches, and but the four tenths that we got, it was gone by by lunchtime. You know, it the ground had soaked it up, and you couldn't hardly even tell it tell that it rained that morning. So, well, we're gonna it is what it is. We're going to spend some time talking about weather and uh, different conditions right now as it relates to doe and fawn health uh, later in the podcast. But um, let's just, uh, I want to hear an update about your uh, your attempt to purchase a farm. Did you make any progress on that this week? Well, I, I can check a couple more off my list that I had. Uh... Let's see, I, I knocked on uh, a couple more doors, and then uh, there was an auction. A property was being auctioned not too far from me, and the auction it was an online auction that ended on Friday. And, uh, well, I thought, you know, $8,000 would have got that property for sure. And I thought 8000 was more than I thought it was even worth. Um, but uh, it ended up bringing 9600 and uh, there was no way I was paying $10,000. Now, I would have paid that, but there on this particular property, there was a couple other things that had to fall in place. Once I owned it, there was another property next to it that I thought I could probably buy, and I would have needed that property. If something would have happened that I couldn't buy it, well, that would have really affected the one that was auctioned. And then uh, on the other side of that property, my neighbor owns a piece that he's got some guys hunting on it that uh, I think I could have bought his. Well, he pretty much told me that uh, I could buy his piece, too. So I was going to have to buy three pieces. But the first one brought so much money that I, I didn't want to risk it, um, you know, with those those question marks. It was just big question marks. Would I be able to to get both of the other properties and get them tied up at a, at a reasonable price? So. Well, I think a lot I of people I think a lot of people that are either in the property market, you know, looking for a recreational property or even a lease, um, I almost get the feeling sometimes people aren't patient. You know, we talk about patience and discipline a lot. And, you know, you're gonna be spending a lot of money. You might even to get the property you want. We've talked about it the last couple of episodes, you might have to pay a little bit more to get it because it might not even be on the market. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be a race to just have another piece of property. It's got to be the right one. And um, if you find the right one, it's okay spending the money. But 
Um, I just think, especially with out-of-state leases and property, you know, buyers, it's it's make sure you do your homework and get you something that falls in line with what your goals are. Um, just saying you own a piece of property in Illinois or Iowa or Missouri where people are trying to get, you know, recreational properties might not be the right thing. You know, you got to look for the right one. Yeah, and that's the other thing, you know, I would have... If I would have spent 10 grand an acre, um, which it would have been essentially 10 grand an acre to get that property. I don't even know if that would have got it. You know, the other bidder may have went even farther. But on 47 acres, you're talking a half a million dollars. And then I would have had two other properties that I needed to tie up. And it was going to be, well, by the time the third property would have put me out of my budget. And uh, <laughs> that means you're not <laughs> retiring as early as you want to, is all that means. <laughs> well, you know, I think land right now is probably the best investment there is because I would, I'd be afraid to have a bunch of money in the, you know, stock market or 401k unless, well, depending on what, how you got it invested in that 401k, but, uh, you know, the market's so volatile right now, I think land's about the best investment out there, but at the same time, well, if it really hits the fan, the, the land market could take a major hit too, and you could, right. You could spend eight or ten thousand dollars for land that's worth three in six months, right? And where's that leave you? Well, I think in the long term, it's gonna everything will balance out. Um, and it's like you said, if if you buy this, this is going to be a property that that you hang on to. It's not like you're, uh, you know, a venture capitalist looking to flip something by making the balance sheet look a little bit better. There's, there's all different types of avenues. And, but you know, with land, I think even if it dips a little bit, it's, it'll stabilize out. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's an interesting time right now for sure. I mean, like I said, that pump that I was going to look at, uh, trying to replace on that, on that sprayer, good grief. It's nothing's on the shelves right now. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as 99% of our listeners where you have very small window where you're, you have available to do your job on the farm or whatever. And when something breaks, it's, I don't have three days to order something online. I need to go get it. And good grief. I ended up, um, I think the pumps that we have on our sprayers, I think is like a 4.4 gallon per minute pump. And I ended up rewiring it and replumbing it and put a 7.5 gallon per minute pump on it. Cause that's all that was there. Ended up having to pay $300 for the stupid pump, but I can hmm. pump the herbicide out really quick. Now I can, I can definitely spray in a different gear cause, uh, it's pumping it out, but interesting, yeah. t- interesting times for sure. Um, before we start talking about, um, uh, fawn and doe health as it relates to the weather, whether it's too wet or too dry, a uh, big announcement this week, and that is those have been who have been waiting for the great debate uh, that we did in Shipshawan, I believe in February, if I'm not mistaken. That video is produced and uploaded to your YouTube page, Chasing Giants. So uh, the debate was um, you and Tony LaPratt in front of I think like 2,500, maybe 3,000 people. I don't know how many people were there. We filled that arena and uh, had a great crowd, great event. But uh, that video is now up on your YouTube channel. Yeah, it is. And it's getting a lot of hits. I'm getting a lot of feedback. Uh, I haven't heard a negative word yet. Um, We even got to talk about mechanical broadheads, doe factories. 
you name it, we covered it. And uh, everybody that commented thought it was a very well done debate. You know, the moderator did not pick sides. He was uh, very fair to both Tony and myself. And, and the one comment that I probably heard the most was that Tony and I were very respectful of each other, even when we disagreed. Um, so glad to hear that. Glad to hear people are liking it. But uh, just go to Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors YouTube channel and look for the Legends debate, and you'll be able to to listen to that. Yeah, the uh, the big takeaway for me is, um, you know, we've known Tony a long time, and uh, the the history that you guys talk about is it was it was a rocky relationship at certain points in time, but. It's like uh, it's like everybody says you you learn to appreciate other people and other people's opinions and it's okay to disagree just like the listeners to this podcast we hear every week and get criticized everything ever it somebody's gonna disagree with something that we say um, but we hope that people take away different things and make you think a little bit and doesn't mean we all have to align we all have different goals. But if you're watching that video on Chasing Giants YouTube channel, The Legends Debate, you actually played a commercial for a new outlet that you have coming out. And uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about it, and then we'll play that spot here on this podcast. Yeah, so, you know, the listeners have been hearing me talk for probably over a year now that uh, I've been filming with Steve Shields. And, I mean, we've we put together probably hundreds of hours of video and Steve has been producing a number of videos and we will be launching in the coming weeks um, sometime before hunting season this fall we're going to launch a subscription-based website called Whitetail Master Academy and on that website we got several different categories of videos and uh, new videos will be posted each week but uh, you know, there's just to give the, the listeners some ideas. There's one category that's on it's Don's tree stands. So we went to some of my tree stands on different properties. Um, Steve has filmed it with a drone from the air. I've actually got up in the, in these stands and I filmed with the video camera. So the, the uh, viewer gets to see the, the same view that I see while I'm in that stand. Um, from the air, Steve is using graphics, showing wind direction, what the bucks are doing. And, uh, you know, each month we will feature a different tree stand. And then Steve went with me last winter, um, on my consulting visits. So, uh, each month we're going to feature a property that I consulted on. And, uh, you know, we're going to take a look at that property from an aerial from the, from the beginning. I'm going to describe what I liked about that property, my concerns I had, and then we're going to lay out the plan that I put together for that property. So, you know, uh, there'll be one of those released each month as well. Um, a subscriber, you know, he can he can watch that channel, and at some point, there's probably going to be a property that uh, is similar to his own. He'll be able to pick up some ideas, um, you know, for designing his own property. And then we've got uh, well, we've got a a, uh, a segment on hunting tips. We got one on land management tips. Uh, we got one called Whitetail 101. It's for the greenest beginner. If you're a real if you're a beginning deer hunter and, and you don't know hardly anything at all, um, we're going to take you step by step through a series of videos on 
getting you off, getting you started off on the right foot. Um, we've got one called All Things Whitetail. It's just a miscellaneous category for a, a topic that doesn't fit under the other um, topics. Uh, we've got Ask the Pros. We've got some uh, video, uh, basically interviews that we've done with different professionals. Dr. Bronson Strickland is going to be on there. We've got a, a couple with him and uh, just some other uh, you know, professional biologists and people that are pros in their field. Um, that's another one of the categories, but, uh, you know, right out of the gate, um, there's going to be, if you just go to the website, once it's up and just so people know it's not live yet, if you go there, there'll be a landing page that basically tells you what's coming. But when we go live, there's going to be one free video in each category, just to give you a feel for what you're going to get. And then as soon as you subscribe, there will be two more videos available in each category and from that point on we're going to be adding new videos um, each week and uh, you know hopefully cover a lot of topics uh, that really that, that i promise you we've already recorded some things that have never been talked about on any youtube channel any magazine article uh, some new stuff that uh, i've kind of kept to myself things i've been doing here in the last year or two so uh hope people enjoy that and i guess you're going to play the the uh promo video right now for people to see yep here it is do you want to take your deer hunting success to the next level do you want to take your hunting property to the ultimate level don higgins whitetail master academy is a one-of-a-kind source of cutting-edge information to help whitetail hunters and land managers become more successful. By joining Don Higgins Whitetail Master Academy, you'll see firsthand video presentations on designing real hunting properties. You'll see Don's actual tree stand locations where he has harvested giant bucks and hear him dissect these stand sites. Today we're gonna to feature one of my favorite tree stands. So let me set the stage for you here. This stand is located along the west side You'll also learn hunting tactics specifically targeting mature bucks. This is the most in-depth resource online for hunting mature white-tailed deer. Sign up today to unlock Don's secrets to success in the white-tailed woods. All right, Don, that's, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's, um, I guess, um, People are going to question why a, a separate website, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it out a little bit, and then you can kind of dive into it a little bit more. One of the one of the biggest feedbacks we get as we go around to trade shows, seminars, and everything is people just can't uh, afford or try to make the time to either get to a master class or have you on their property as for a consulting trip, and and we understand that. Um, um, you know, especially in the, today's economy, um, the other big concern we have is certain outlets where we can publish different content, depending on what we say, what we do, and whether we fall in the line of the political nature at that time, algorithms and uh, suppression end up happening and keeping our channel from being seen. Uh, we've already been on uh, probation, I think once or twice with this channel for talking about different things. 
And uh, we just do not trust the future of some of these social media platforms to put content out. Saying that the production quality of what Steve is doing with this information is extremely high end. And uh, the reason it's subscription is it's expensive to do. This is not you know, video vlog style that people put on their YouTube channel where they going around holding a GoPro or a phone looking at themselves. This is high-end production to give everyone the best tools possible that cannot get to the master class or have you on your consulting. And I know I'm kind of speaking for you there, but um, you know, I, I think I think if people really give it a chance, it will fill the gap of a lot of people that want to learn more that just don't have another avenue. Right. You pretty well covered it, Terry, but, uh, you know, the, the real big thing was when you put it out there on some of these other outlets, most of those are run, um, by liberals. Let's just be honest. And their views on a lot of topics, um, and not just political topics, I'm talking social topics do not align with ours. Yep. And it, it just, it wasn't a few months ago that a lot of hunting channels, on one of these outlets got shut down just because the people running that outlet are not favorable towards hunting. Right. And I didn't want to start something and, you know, grow it to significant size and then have it shut down by somebody else. This, we fully control it. Um, the, the production is going to be much better than your YouTube, typical YouTube video. Right. Um, there's not going to be commercials in the middle of it. Like if you watch, go to YouTube, and watch videos you're you're going to have to watch commercials in the middle of them there's not going to be that um and it's really it's some stuff that it, that i've never seen not all of it but a lot of it is stuff that i've never seen shared um anywhere in, in any form or any venue magazines blogs videos whatever so uh you know and the other thing we want to we want to hear from the uh, subscribers and we'll cover their topics. They, they throw an idea out there, just like this podcast with people submitting questions. Um, we'll, we'll take their topics and we'll make videos out of them. So we're, we're not going to, we're not going to go into detail and take time away from in this podcast, but, um, number one, don't call me about a question of this. Cause I have nothing to do with this project. Uh, when we first started <laughs> talking about it, I said I was too busy. So, uh, you're running with this, uh, I'm I'm there to support you, buddy, but uh, I got my hands full with the foundation and everything else right now, so I respectfully decline to uh, to help do this. So I, I'm supporting you, but not involved. Um, but the second thing is, as we get closer to the release of this, we're going to also provide more information about resources that will be offered to the subscribers. So it's not just paying to watch a video. There's going to be other things that you're going to get opportunities for. Um, and I'll just leave it at that for right now. All right. Uh, real important topic uh, that we're going to cover is the health of fawns and does. And we're going to talk about that as soon as we come back from a um, message from our friends at Osseo Gear. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched. Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, 
built for comfort and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, Don, um, please make sure you go out and uh, follow Joe Miles. He's doing a lot of different content out there right now with his Osseo gear, and uh, we're going to be um, um, hunting in it this this summer. But um, more importantly, um, we got some um, promotional stuff that we're going to be sending out here this summer. If you're interested in Osseo gear, make sure you're following chasing giants with don higgins on social media and uh we'll be forwarding that to you whenever joe's ready so don uh we're we're at uh, about four hours apart uh you're in central illinois i'm in uh, northern kentucky uh let's talk a little bit about fawns and does right now because we're in completely different situations where i'm having a lot of rain and um you're having a drought What's going on, first of all, at a 30,000-foot view? Some of these fawns are basically like 30 days old. Some of them are a little bit newer. Um, what's going on right now with the overall physiological side of a doe and a fawn right now? Well, I mean, right now, that uh, when that fawn's first born, you know, it's real critical that that fawn gets off to a good start. There, there is death losses to fawns for a number of reasons, and they're not just predators. Uh, the environment, you know, the weather um, will will take a lot of them out, and uh, so we need to do everything we can to make sure that 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 doe is going to have a big impact on the health of that fawn. So uh, we need to be taking good care of our does. But you know, something really interesting happened this week. Uh, we probably so I think most of us have heard about those cattle out in Kansas that that died here in the last week or so that. Uh, they are saying was heat stress. And I know there's some other theories being thrown out there about what might've killed those cattle, but let's just assume that it was heat stress. Um, you know, I had a very interesting text this week uh, from a friend of mine, Travis Phelps, who I go to, the, we go to the same church. Um, Travis raises captive deer. And actually Travis and I had a conversation this morning about this as well. So he's been raising captive deer for 10 years. And in those 10 years, he's only lost four fawns in all that time. Well, this week, because of the heat, he's lost six. Wow. Six fawns in one week. Reason. Um, you know, it's we're in the midst of a drought as well. It's really hard on those critters. So, you know, a doe goes out and she has her her fawns in traditional fawning type cover, which is often a grass field or a wheat field or hay field or something like that. You know, that fawn is essentially out there in the sun all day long being baked. And uh, they're just dehydrating is what Travis was saying this morning. So, um, you know, it's something that uh, these wild deer have to, have to uh, cope with just as well as those captive deer. Right. And in many cases, it's probably even tougher because, you know, that fawn that's in the wild, he may be hundreds of yards from any shade at all, where those captive deer typically are not that far from uh, from shade if, uh, you know, those young fawns have the wherewithal to, to go and find that shade. So it just makes me wonder how many wild fawns might have been lost this week in our area anyway to heat stress. 
Um, like I said, Travis lost six in one week, and in the previous 10 years, he'd only lost four fawns. Right. So, uh, you know, last week uh, I cultivated my sweet corn, which is out at the farm, and uh, I had no reason to bring the cultivators back to my house. It's about seven miles between the house and the and the farm. So I backed the cultivators in right next to the farm is an old working or an old dairy farm. So there's an old calf barn and it's grown up around the outside of it. And there's a tree right beside the old grain bins. And I backed the cultivator up and Don, I'm not kidding. I backed in the cultivator and I don't know why, but it was all tall grass. I looked over my shoulder out the cab of the tractor before I set the cultivators down and there was a fawn laying right there. I, I literally would have set the cultivators down on that fawn if if I didn't look. And it was tucked back up underneath a, a, a shade tree. So, you know, Todd Hewing last week from Biofarm was, was going, um, you know, made a big point about making sure we're watching for fawns. And, um, but it, no one talks about this, uh, at least that I've heard. And that is, the stress that gets put on these deer uh, during dry drought areas. And it's not just the fawns, but also the does. So, you know, that fawn is dependent on the lactation of the mom. She's got to be under just as much stress, um, you know, when in drought conditions where there's not a lot of water, you know, really serious heat, um, you know, to do what she has to do as a mother, and that's produce milk. Right. And, uh, you, you know, just to take this a step further, Terry, the, these deer, especially in my area, not so much what you're dealing with at the moment with plenty of rain, but here in this drought that, that we're dealing with, um, these deer are definitely stressed, but those drought conditions could lead to an EHD outbreak later in the summer. So if they're already stressed now, um, it, it could just make them much more susceptible Right. to EHD later in the summer. And Travis mentioned to me today, he says, I usually start feeding your EHD feed to my captive deer in midsummer. But he said, because of the stress they're dealing with right now, he says, I went this week uh, to the real world office and I picked up some of that expect healthy deer technology sup feed supplement to start feeding this deer. Yeah. So I, that that's exactly where I wanted to go and not to pitch a product, but understanding your weather conditions, you know, whether you're in a swamp, whether you're, you know, really wet or whether you're really dry, stress has a, an effect on antler growth, on lactation, on, you know, your, your, your fawn, um, um, whatever you call it, um, however many die fatality rate, I guess. Is what I'm, yeah. So, so when you are, when you're dealing with something in your environment locally at your farm, that's increasing the stress level that that's going to have a trickle out effect. That could mean that that deer can't fight off insects as much as it needs to later in the summer. That might mean uh, real, real bad midge net season, you know, where we're going to have EHD um, and, and nobody seems to talk about it. And, you know, I don't want to get you on a tangent and have you wailing your arms around, but you know, this, this is the perfect example of why we want nutrition on our properties to try to take that stress away and keep the highest nutrition the entire summer, because different situations are always going to present themselves to add stress. And the only way you can, uh, protect that is habitat and food right you know uh 
with both plants and animals, the first ones that are hit with a disease or a pest is going to be those that are stressed. Um, you know, a, a disease comes into a cattle herd. Well, guess what? It's not going to first hit the most healthy cow out in the pasture. Right. It's going to, it's going to hit that one that she's maybe got parasites or, or she's been milked down and in poor body condition. And that's why it's so critical. And, and you know, it, it just really bugs me that we've got these people that are against supplemental feeding um, and, and they do do so under the guise of disease concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. It, it's almost, you know, it doesn't make any sense really because the healthier the deer, the better that deer can fight off disease issues and supplemental feed, the right supplemental feed. I'm not saying shelled corn, right. but a good quality sh uh, supplemental feed can actually, you know, set your deer up to, to be better equipped to deal with parasites and disease issues. And we know that everybody's dealing with different situations. You know, some people are wet, some people are dry. Good grief. Minnesota's been hit by 10 tornadoes. Um, have have that nutrition program whatever you're allowed to do max it out diversify it um, but the the follow-up question i have we we focus on food a lot and we focus on i put mineral out today excuse me um but from a habitat standpoint when we when we are risking a, a potential drought like you're in i look at your farm and what you just mentioned comparing it to some of the the big open ag country where there's just a lot of open switchgrass and no shade um can you talk a little bit about this is also one of the keys for diversity in your habitat and structure you know you have a lot you have woods and you have grasses you have both and that diversity that you're putting on your farm and not all your eggs in one basket, because there's going to be pluses and minuses for both throughout the year. Yeah, I'm always promoting diversity, especially in food sources is where I'm often promoting it. Um, you know, the, the more different food sources you have or, or plant species you have within your plots, the better a deer can balance his diet. Well, that diversity is also important in the cover. Um, you know, wooded cover is going to provide browse as well as, as the cover, but it can also provide thermal cover in, in severe winter conditions or whatever. Um, diversity is key across the board, both in food and in, in cover. So, uh, you know, don't throw all your eggs in one basket. Like you say, Terry, I just, I think, I think if, um, if we're on, if I'm honest with myself, we always we always take these conversations um, naturally because I mean, good grief! The show is called Chasing Giants. We always take it to oh, you want diversity in your cover because you know some bucks are always going to like the grass, some bucks are always going to like the timber. But from when we're when they're this time of the year, it's it's just such a pivot point for the health of our herd as they're growing antlers and as they're trying to raise the bucks that we're going to try to hunt in five years. Um, it's such an important part of it that our habitat projects, our food sources, and yes, having food on your property through the summer is so vital. Um, I, I just, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it for this reason. And, uh, you know, if you're able to supplemental feed, put your mineral out, 
and you're in a drought area, please get it out now. Not a high salt product, but a true mineral uh, because the stress of that animal as we get into insect season, ticks, all that kind of stuff. Again, that ripple out effect of your herd health is going to come back into play. Yeah, you know, as good stewards and deer managers, um, yeah, we're, we're chasing giants. We're trying to grow giants. And, and that means taking care of the health of the entire herd. We're not just focusing on bucks. We're not just focusing on old bucks. We're focusing on doing the best we can as stewards of the entire herd, as well as the habitat. Right. All right. With that, um, let's move on. I want to get the first question of the night up on the screen for you. And uh, then we'll take a break and listen to a message from our friends from Quiet Cat. Okay, the first one comes from Enos Miller from Sullivan, Ohio. Uh, he says, hello, Don and Terry. I have two questions. The first one is for Don. I have heard you say when planting switchgrass for bedding, the bigger the better. If I remember correctly, you said it should be at least five acres. In episode 121, when talking about your buck from around 1990, which by the way, I wasn't born yet. You said he was in a small patch of cover around about 50 yards by 150 yards. And that big bucks love small patches like that. I would love to hear you explain that. Second question is, I have never heard you guys talk about what kind of safety harness you use. I will not hunt from a small hang on stand without one, but with the harness, I feel tied up and it restricts my movement. Just curious what you guys have found that works for you. Also, I would like to hear you explain the whole story about the king buck sometime. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all you guys do. God bless. Well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to answer your first two, and I'm going to leave Terry to answer the king buck part of it and give <laughs> Terry time to think about that as, I, <laughs> as I'm answering. So, uh, yeah, I I get it, Enos. It almost seems like I was contradicting myself uh you know, when I say um, big bucks like small cover, but then on the same token, I'll I'll say uh, if you're planting switchgrass, the bigger the patch, the better. And, and what you got to realize is that we're talking about two totally different scenarios. So first, the little patches, let's cover that. When I'm talking about looking for little patches because big bucks like those, I'm talking about in, in areas that are heavily hunted, uh, not where I own ground, where I'm just out looking for permission to um, properties. Uh, I, I'm looking for places that other deer hunters overlook. And that's the same thing that a mature buck is looking for. He's looking for places where hunters don't go. And often those are very small, out-of-the-way places. That, that's just where I found a lot of the bucks that I've killed over the years is in very small, out-of-the-way, overlooked places. That's in a heavily hunted region. When I talk about switchgrass and the bigger, the better, I'm talking about you own or you control a property and you want to do everything you can to increase your chances of holding a mature bug. And in those situations, the bigger the cover, the better. Um, sure, if it's little, you can attract a buck as well, but that requires zero human intrusion. That means you can't go there either, even though you own it. That's what attracts those bucks. Uh, if you own a property and you have the opportunity to do what you want, then the bigger the cover, the better off you're going to be. So we're talking two totally different situations when I'm talking big patches of switchgrass 
and small pieces of cover for bucks. You know, we, uh, we produced a video, uh, a long time ago that we're not able to share. And that that's another side topic that'll get me pissed off that while we can't share it anymore. But anyway, um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we may get Terry fired up on this issue, but uh, this episode, (laughs) but well, let me take a step back. I am very thankful for our listeners because, you know, they, they listen so close to everything that's talked about on this, that these questions come up and I don't, I don't mind it one bit because it shows us how serious people take what we're talking about. But I I forget the number of bucks that you talked about in the video that, that we had to take down, uh, that came out of a, a stand of switchgrass versus where you're talking about one buck gets pushed to a small little piece of cover. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember how many bucks was it that you referenced on that where you saw them come out? Yeah, I had a, a patch of switchgrass that was eight acres and I had eight bucks in one evening come out of eight acres of switchgrass. So that means there was a buck per acre. Yeah. So, so great question. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate how people take everything we say, um, and listen and try to improve their property. But, uh, I think you did a fantastic uh, job, uh, explaining the difference of you look for small patches and some of them are going to be out in the middle of nowhere that no one would ever expect a buck like Trump. Um, but if I'm managing my property, I want to hold as many of them as I can. Right. All right. So what was and the second question that he talked the about? The second question was about uh, safety, safety harness. Yeah, well, I, I use a, a probably one of the first safety belts, if you will, that come along. It's called tree hopper. And in fact, just this afternoon, as I was putting together the outline for this uh, episode, I went and did a search for tree hopper and I found they are still in business. And uh, I've got two of their safety belts. Uh, they are fantastic for, uh, you know, using as a safety uh, harness as you're hanging a tree stand or at, while you're hunting. They're adjustable to, to different size trees and such. I've been using it for probably 20 years or more now. Still have the same one. Very, very well made. Very strong. Um, it's not a harness. It's more of a belt. Uh, just a style that I prefer. Um because of trying to get that harness around, you know, your clothing, especially in cold weather when you got, you know, some really thick layers of clothing on that this belt being adjustable is just a whole lot handier um, for me. So that that's what I use. How about you, Terry? Um, I'll take a lot of flack from this and that's okay. I mean, um, I'm not, um, I'm not going to do anything, but be honest. Um, I've had to swallow my pride the last few years. Uh, I went through a phase when I was younger and more stupid, not realizing the responsibilities that I have where I didn't wear a harness and, uh, was in probably some situations that weren't really safe. Um, if you remember our friend Patrick, uh, his cousin, Danny York and I, I remember we got up in a poplar. We had to have been, good grief, 40, 45 feet up in the air, and that thing was only about eight inches in diameter with both of us up there, and I wasn't strapped in. Um, as I've gotten older, I've 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 heard stories about our friend Jeff Gibson and you know other people. Was it Jeff Gibson that fell? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, he talked about it at the master class one time. Right. 
you know, yep. I hear I hear these stories and, you know, I, I just realize that I have a wife that puts up with this passion that I have. Uh, the least I can do is is be safe, um, especially when I'm hunting out of state by myself a lot. You know, she doesn't even know where I'm at sometimes. So um, we had an incident with one of the elders in our church this last year and he fell uh, going in and out of a ladder stand. He was trying to you know, carry his uh, weapon as he was going down the ladder and fell and, and got hurt. The only way they even found him was he had an Apple watch on that he could do the SOS thing uh, from it. So I've made a promise to my wife that um, that I'll be safer, especially when I'm by myself and out of town. Uh, the harness that I wear, I do not think is available um, as, as people know, we're partnered with Novix, who was the original, uh, uh, lone wolf. And back in the day they made a, um, um, a harness that, uh, I got from them and I still wear that one today, but it is, a, it goes around your legs and over your shoulders. It's a true harness that hooks up to the, to the back of your back, but I've worn uh, hunter safety systems before. Um, the thing I like about them, it's, it's like putting on a vest. So when it's dark and you're trying to get dressed at the back of your truck, you're not trying to, you know, stick your legs and arms through something that you can't find the right hole. So, uh, I've worn a couple different ones over the years, but right now I wear a, uh, one that's got a, a lone wolf logo on it, but I don't think it's available. I don't think they sell it anymore. Yeah. On the topic of safety, I'll throw something else out that I do that, uh, I, I think it's a good idea. And, and others should probably copy is that uh, my wife and I have apps on our phones where she can track exactly where I'm at. So if I fall my phone is at and she could send somebody in to check on me, whatever. And uh, I forget the name of the app, but uh, I'm sure there's probably multiple apps that'll do that. And I suggest that any hunter, um, get that app or a similar app on their phone and you know who knows what could happen there's a thousand different things that could happen and you're laying out there totally unconscious and someone could find you in a timely manner um, no matter where you are yeah so you know uh, it's uh, i know that the technology and safety harnesses and lineman ropes and and um you know, the rope that goes up the side of the tree when you're getting in and out. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm needing to get better. And I know a lot of people will have a bunch of smart aleck comments and advice and that's okay. But I'm, I'm being just totally truthful. Um, over the last probably five years, I've had to accept the fact that I do have much more responsibility um, with my wife and my family, um, that it's, it's my responsibility to make sure I'm not leaving them hung, you know, out to dry for being stupid. Um, especially when I'm out by myself. Yep. Well, I, over the years I've, I've hunted many hunts without a safety belt whatsoever, but, uh, I don't promote it in any way whatsoever, but you know, that mm. leaves us with the most important question that, that this guy had Terry, and that's about the King buck. Do we, really, do we really want to go into this? <laughs> it's probably hey. one of the most comical things I've ever seen in the hunting industry right, or world. So, so we're we're in northeast Ohio up in Amish country at a trade show. And uh, 
there was another guest speaker there. Don was speaking as a seminar speaker there. There was another guy there that let's just say had some of the most out of the box thinking that I've ever heard in my life. Well, we kind of set Don up and we had already heard part of the spiel and you had never heard of this guy. So we, we told Don that he had to go listen to this, this seminar and you came out like four minutes after it started with smoke coming out your ears. <laughs> Almost <laughs> so upset that this guy was there basically trying to take people's money for this. So um, I, I don't think it's right for us to bash somebody by name on here. But let's just say that there is a lot of people out there selling some really weird thinking and the only reason it's selling is because it's so different not um not any way shape or form um but let's just i'll give i'll give everybody an example of, of the king buck mentality two things that this guy said if you ever get a trail camera picture of a buck with one of his back legs up like scratching his face or anything like that you can go ahead and cross that buck off the list of being the most dominant buck in your area because the most dominant buck would never expose its genitals <laughs> to a trail camera or to, to another deer. So it would never raise yeah, his true. leg up, expose his undercarriage to anybody. So as everybody's listening <laughs> to the podcast, probably laughing right now, I'm dead serious. That's what this guy Yep. And the the other thing was, is when you walk into your stand, you, you and this guy was about hunting, finding trails in the woods. You had to go into the woods to hunt. And, uh, but when you walked in, you had to stomp, like, you know, take your foot up and like two feet in the air and stomp, then another step. And then, but you had to hurry and get up in your stand really quick because you want the king buck in your area to hear you stomping and he's going to come looking to pick a fight because he thinks another buck is in his area. So <laughs> this guy had a whole presentation of these things. So I hope that gives you a little insight about what the King buck jokes are that we talk about, but I can tell you, I've seen Don mad many times in my life over the last 17 years. And he was, he was furious <laughs> with what this guy was trying to tell people. Well, <laughs> there's no doubt that there was a lot of bad information um, being presented that weekend. And uh, I, I I just got a thing with people being ripped off. And this guy was selling a product and people were buying it. And, it, and I knew it was going to do them. It was not going to help them kill deer in any way, shape, or form. And... Uh, but but some of the things that we witnessed, Terry just Terry don't want to even tell the good stuff. He don't want to, he's no. sitting there laughing. He don't even want to tell the good stories. The things we witnessed were beyond belief. <laughs> this was deer hunting comedy, is what it turned into. But it, it really weekend, was. It was like somebody was trying to put a spoof on something and like come up with the most ridiculous things ever. I've I've never seen anything like it. So it's it's uh i apologize for the uh joke sometimes that we pull off and people don't know what we're talking about when we say the king <laughs> but for those of you seriously this this is very serious though for those of you who get a picture of a buck with his leg up in the air don't shoot it because there's one older than him because the old buck would never raise and, and show his undercarriage to you 
<laughs> All right, with that, let's listen to move on. Yeah, let's listen to a spot from our friends at Quiet Cat. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com slash meet. important do you guys believe it is to have your deer scored by a professional and put into the books if they score high enough i know some people say to honor the animal you must put them in the books and other people say it doesn't matter just wondering your opinions on that thanks well trevor i think it's a personal opinion or a personal choice um i've got bucks a, a couple that i've entered into the books just because i, I had them officially scored um, just to see where they was at. Uh, Mel was was one of those. Um, I had no idea he would end up the number six all-time typical killed with a bow, but uh, I thought he might be in the top 100 or so, and I was just kind of curious where he was going to fit in. The other thing is um, my 200s, uh, I've had them scored just because I don't want anybody to question um, the the score. If they do, I got the score sheets to show it. Um, I know there's some guys out there claiming 200 inch bucks that you look at the picture and, uh, you know, obviously there, there's some things you, you can't see from pictures, but sometimes you're left scratching your head thinking that bucks 25 inches from 200. And uh, I just don't ever want to be put in that category of my integrity it means a lot to me. So sometimes I have certain bucks scored um, just to back up what I'm saying um whether you do or not it's 100 percent personal choice one thing i will say though is that both pope and young and boone and crockett organizations I, I respect them a lot because they promote good ethics and they promote good stewardship and i think that's those are two things that are really lacking in, in the hunting community today i'm not saying that i agree with either organization 100 percent on everything they do but i certainly respect them for you know standing up for issues that nobody else will take a stand on yep i couldn't said it better myself no matter what you decide there's somebody that's going to disagree with you right and, and there's one there's one type of person that you left off of here that's the people that won't get their buck officially scored because their tape measure stretches 20 inches longer <laughs> so. and they know it and, and they know it they know the buck doesn't score what they claim no, they'll never take it to have it officially measured. Uh, but uh, who cares? I, I think yeah. that um, I think it's just another piece that people can enjoy. Um, you know, Tracy Dixon down in West Virginia hosted a buck scoring party and got a bunch of people together and raised money for charity. Um, got kids involved. So I, I have no problem with it either way. Um, it's just if it if it's a way for you to stay accountable to the goal that you set at the beginning of the season by all means if it's a 110 inch deer go have it scored i think it's a way to learn um i'm not going to get another one officially scored until i get a one that has a chance of being a net booner but that's just me none of yep. mine none of mine are in a book 
when I kill one big enough to be in a book, I'll, I might put it in there. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with doing it or not doing it. All right, well, let's take a quick break and talk about the Lester's Feet Foundation this week. Uh, we have just a few more days, people, to uh, to get their uh, tickets ordered. Now, I want to make sure I'm going to – I should have had this queued up, so um, – I'm going to share my screen real quick over to the website. Everybody should be able to see it right now. Can you see it, Don? I can. All right. So we only have a few more days. Uh, June 27th is the last day. So this is the website right here, Lester's Feet Project. The easiest way to find this is to go to our website, which is the lestersfeetfoundation.org. Solid Rock Chapel, which is Don's home church, is hosting this raffle. And um, you can see all of the information. Now, for those of you who want to mail in a check, you need to do it right now. Don't wait another day because the U.S. Postal Service is definitely not very fast, okay? You want to write your check, make your check out to Solid Rock Chapel, okay? And grab a pen. I'm getting ready to tell you the uh, address to mail your checks to. Mail it to Solid Rock Chapel, P.O. Box 172, Sullivan, Illinois, 61951. And you can buy one ticket for $25 or five for $100 in any increments that you want. So if you want uh, $500 worth of tickets, then you can buy that. You can win multiple times. So we're giving away a brand new Chevy Silverado truck, which, by the way, got delivered. Chris Yates called me this week, and the truck is on the lot. Uh, we'll be pushing some pictures of that this week and um, and having a final push. But people, uh, please understand, we're a 100% volunteer organization. Don's wife, Robin, has been helping us a lot. Um, the, the sooner you get this to us, the better we can prepare for the raffle on July 4th, we, um, which it's not a weekend, it's a Monday, I believe. Um, but we're going to do the live raffle and, uh, draw names to see who wins all of these 75 prizes valued at $150,000. Um, you know, people, people like to hear the stories and, and real quick, I'll tell you about a family that we, uh, learned about this week. Um, she uh she single mom and um was trying to get everything in, in you know arranged and prepared for the baby coming but uh the baby was born at 29 weeks so caught everybody off guard she wasn't prepared for it the baby was in NICU and and thankfully the team of doctors and everybody were able to uh put the baby under care baby's doing great but guess what? The mom's uh, place where she lived is is not suitable for a preemie baby coming out of NICU. Uh, they found a bunch of mold in the in the apartment. The roof leaks, and this is just a simple situation of um, a connection made, uh, an open door by one of our podcast listeners that says, "Hey, I know this family, and and they're in trouble." Um, so the lady couldn't afford the buyout on the lease because there was a penalty that she had to pay if she terminated the lease early. She needed a deposit on another place. So we were able to go in and call that landlord. And uh, let's just say the foundation can sometimes work some magic when it comes to do, getting people to do the right thing. But we helped this young single mother with a baby coming out of NICU to uh, buy out her existing lease, put a deposit 
and pay a, a couple months lease to get her feet on the ground to put that baby in a situation where it's healthy and safe. And thanks to the people who donate, uh, these bills were paid directly on behalf of the family. We know it went to the right spot. Um, 100% of the dollars that you guys donate or buy raffle tickets goes to families like this. So with that, um, let's go ahead and put the next. Uh, I want to throw one thing out there, Terry, about the Lester's feet while we're talking about it. Right. Um, we like to help people connected with the podcast. You guys are, are the ones financially supporting this foundation. So we like to help those connected, you know, with our supporters. But the way to, to connect is not by texting Terry or I or sending us an email. If you go to lestersfeet.org, there is a form you can fill out right there online. And a lot of that has to do with legal reasons. Um, you know, we could be um, accused of uh, discrimination or something like that. Um, all, all of these funds that we pay out has to originate with that form on the website. Someone from the family has to fill it out. Terry and I cannot do it. So if you have a person that you think would be a good fit, please go to lestersfeet.org and fill out the form for us. Thank you. Lestersfeetfoundation.org, but you were close. Okay. But the bottom, the bottom line in people is this thing has gotten so big. Um, there's a lot of compliance that I deal with. You know, we have a fantastic board of directors and group of volunteers that helps us vet families out. And, uh, it's, it's hard to keep up with the volume of requests that we get now, but we have to be in compliance. And that starts with someone that can speak for the family filling out that very simple application at lestersfeetfoundation.org. Please don't send Don or I a message saying, here's a family, please look into it. Um, we can't, we can't do it. We're just going to push you right back to that same place. So. The Lester's Feet Foundation is a 100% volunteer nonprofit organization whose sole mission is to help families with sick children. The impact on families who have children with life-altering illnesses can be devastating and often requires one or both parents to be away from work. Through our fundraising efforts and the help of our generous donors, Lester's Feet works with families to help alleviate the financial burdens associated with caring for their children through such a challenging time. 100% of donations and fundraising profits go directly to the families we are supporting. We are excited to announce that Solid Rock Chapel in Sullivan, Illinois is supporting our foundation by hosting a huge raffle with $150,000 worth of prizes, including a new Chevy truck, a John Deere tractor, a material kit to a post-frame building, and much more. The drawing will be on July 4th, 2022, so please visit us at www.lestersfeetfoundation.org to purchase your raffle tickets and learn more about our organization. All right, question number three. Let's get to it. All right, this one comes from Andre Miller from Auburn, Kentucky. He says, hi, Don and Terry. Love the podcast and all the informative content. The, this question is for Don regarding aging a deer. How do you age deer that you have on camera? I understand that you say aging deer by photos is impossible. Mel was four when you shot him. Just curious how you knew 
And if you verify the deer you shoot by sending in the jawbone, thanks. Um, well, I, Andre, the way I do it is by trail camera history. I, I don't believe you can look at a picture of a buck and say, boom, he's four years old. Um, but I do believe you can look at a buck and say he's one year old or most of the time two years old and you can be pretty accurate. Once they get three and older, that's when it becomes difficult. So with Mel, I had the trail camera history from the time he was a year and a half old buck. And if you would see the pictures of that deer at one and a half, there is no doubt he's a one and a half year old deer. He had a 10 point rack, but I'm telling you, it was a little 10 point rack and I'm telling you, he was a year and a half old buck. Um, I did not send the jawbone off for Mel and I regret it. I'll tell you, I meant to, I had COVID at the time. And I, I to be honest, I just wanted to get that deer hung up and processed and back in bed <laughs> when that happened. Um, that's a big regret because I would have loved to been able to prove to people that was a four-year-old deer. Um, today, on a lot of the deer that I shoot, I do send them in. Uh, later that year, um, the same year I shot Mel, when I shot the Joey buck, um, I sent in his teeth, and uh, they were aged at eight and a half years old. And I knew that he was at least seven and a half just based on trail camera history, but he ended up being eight and a half. And I'm not saying that I am 100% accurate every single time, but there are certain bucks where I know I'm accurate, and Mel was one of them. Um, the old guy buck that Terry shot a few years ago on my farm, I think I told Terry that's a nine-and-a-half-year-old buck at least. Terry sent the teeth in. He was ten-and-a-half. Uh, that's probably the oldest buck that I've been involved with, that, and uh, Terry ended up shooting him. But uh, so sometimes I do send the teeth in, and, and here lately I've been sending more and more in um, as I shoot bucks, especially bucks that um, I might, may not have trail camera history with clear back when they were yearlings or two-year-olds. Yeah, and I, boy, this is going to sound a little arrogant, and I hope people don't take it that way. Um, sometimes we have to do things um, – you you know and and sometimes you don't care if the buck's six or seven but sometimes we just have to prove it because there's so many naysayers and doubters that it's just part of documenting the story of what we're trying to preach um but to look at you know i it's already started i've already seen stuff on social media how old is this buck coming up and um I'm telling you the original uh, reason that that stuff was posted was just to get engagement and get a lot of comments. Um, you're just falling for a social media algorithm of engagement to uh, try to get more views and likes by participating in those things. There is no way that you can dial that in based on the brisket or the sag in the back behind the front shoulders or every deer is different. I'm a different size than Don is. How old am I? Mm -hmm. It does work for the king buck, though. If you see that leg in the air, you know he's not a mature one. <laughs> I saw a, I saw a video today of this big old monster bull. I mean, just you know, like a rodeo bull. You know, one of these giant, and uh, he had this stick in his mouth, and he was scratching himself up underneath of his legs with the stick in his mouth, and I'm like. Work harder, not or smarter, not harder. So uh, I don't know what the king buck would uh, would say about that video. Maybe I should send it to him on social media. So that 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 buck would have to be at least six or seven if he knew how to scratch himself like that. <laughs> I'm not even going there. <laughs> All right, I can't I can't resist. So 
so <laughs> this King Buck thing's gonna get us off on a sidetrack. We actually have a uh, a mutual friend that Don and I. You weren't really as much part of it. I like to play jokes on people, but we had this guy convinced that Don and I aged deer, that we would set our trail cameras up strategically to where we'd always get a picture of the deer from the rear end, not the front, because we claimed that the only way you could really age a deer is measure the distance from the bottom of his jiblies to his butthole. And the older he got, the the farther down, <laughs> the, the greater the distance. And we had this guy going, I'm not kidding, for at least a whole hunting season. I think he was actually trying to set his trail cameras up to where he would get pictures of deer from the rear end. So funny, <laughs> funny story. But anyway, let's move on to uh, question number four. All right. This one comes from Josh Sharoni from Riddit, Illinois. Never heard of that town, Josh. Anyway, he says, Don and Terry, have you ever spoken to drop tines or drop tine regularity throughout a buck's life? I've been told that a buck with drop tine genetics will only produce the drop tine once in its life, making shooting one even more rare. Not only are not only rare from the genetic makeup, but also the happenstance of, of shooting one on the specific year it produces. I understand that is likely untrue for all bucks with irregular points, but is there any truth with this, with that theory? Thanks. Keep up the good work of spreading God's truths. Well, Josh, there's absolutely no truth whatsoever to that. If a buck's got drop time genetics, he can express it every single year. He's got a rack or, or maybe just some years. Um, but the idea that he's only going to express it one year is just totally false. That's the quick and short answer on that one. I think that they can have it all the time. They can go back and forth with them without them. Um, I've only been around one buck with a drop time. And uh, I know for sure that the year after he had a drop time, he did not have a drop time. Um, but he didn't live to make it the following year to know whether it came back or not. But um, a lot of misconceptions when it comes to genetics, though. Drop tines are, are pretty darn rare. I, I've only seen two drop tine bucks in my entire life. Both of those bucks were on the same property that I leased probably 25 years ago. And they were both seen the same season. They were different bucks. And those are the only two that I've ever seen with drop tines in my life. I'd love to shoot a drop tine buck one of these days. Yep. Yep, absolutely. All right, well... um, I guess I should have mentioned this when we started the podcast, but the buck that's behind Don, we're going to, we're going to talk about that for the next buck profile that we're going to um, feature on this podcast episode. We're going to do that here after the last question, but before we put the last question of the night up, Don, just give everybody a quick run through about your uh, uh, seminar schedule that starts July 13th. Yep, going on a seminar tour out east July 13th. It's going to start uh, that day in Hamilton, Indiana on the 13th. Um, I'm going to give phone numbers for each one of these locations. Please do not call or text me with questions. <laughs> I'm just going to show up. I've been flooded with questions on all these different events, and I'm not responsible for any of the things that are going to happen there. I'm just showing up and speaking. I can't answer your questions. So, <laughs> As I go through this list, if you've got questions, feel free to call them. 
So July 13th in Hamilton, Indiana, which is right up in the northeast corner uh, near Ohio and Michigan. Um, the seminar will be at 630 that evening at Double H Farms, Hamilton, Indiana. If you got any questions, call 567-210-8919. Uh, the next night, July 14th, I'm going to be at Byler's Trophy Blinds in Fredonia, Pennsylvania. Um, they're going to have a benefit supper at 5 p.m., seminar at 6.30. Uh, they're going to give away a Raven crossbow and a CVA inline muzzleloader that night. Any questions on that one, call 724-475-1111. Next night, July 15th, I'm going to be at the John Koblenz Farm in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. There will be a benefit supper from 4 to 6 p.m., and the seminar is at 6. Um, any questions on that one, call 814-427-4243. Uh, the next night, uh, July 16th, I'm going to be at Lost Creek Ag in Oakland Mills, Pennsylvania. I do not have details on that one yet. Um, for um, any questions, call 717-463-3060. Uh, the next day is a Sunday, no seminar, then July 18th. I'm going to be at Dwayne Burkholder's uh, Real World Dealer in Pinyan, New York. Uh, there will be a supper at 5 p.m., a uh, seminar at 6 p.m., number 585-554-554. 0200. And then I got uh, three seminars in a row, Bordeaux Brothers. Um, they have farm stores throughout the Northeast, and they got three open houses at different stores. The first one on July 20th is in Canton, New York. Um, if you got any questions about that, 315-386-2750. The next night, I'll be at Bordeaux Brothers Store in Detroit, Maine. Uh, number there, 802-458-3916. The following night, the 22nd, I'll be at the Bordeaux Brothers Store in Sheldon, Vermont. Number there, 802-933-2277. Uh, those Bordeaux Brothers events, are uh, they'll have free food at 5 p.m., and there will be multiple speakers. I'll just be one of the speakers, um, but the speakers start at 6 p.m. The last event will be July 23rd at uh, another real-world dealer, Daniel King, at Kanajahari, New York. Um, there's going to be a – this is on a Saturday. There will be a chicken dinner and ice cream at noon. Um The seminar will be at 1 p.m. Number for that is 518-859-3310. Some things to throw out about these events. Uh, These events are free. The seminar is free. Uh, There may be charges for the food. You don't have to come for the food. You can show up just for the seminar if you want, and that seminar will be free at every event. There will be real-world products available at every event. And um, the seminar topic, a lot of people have called and want to know what the topic is going to be. It's going to be ultimate whitetail nutrition and food plots. And then there will be a question uh, and answer session at the end, so you can talk about anything you want during that question and answer session. So I hope to see you folks at one of those events. 
Uh, we appreciate the patience of everybody who is watching you read that on the screen, listening on YouTube. Uh, but um, we really appreciate the patience. Uh, so many of our listeners um, um, are listening on Apple Podcast only or Amish friends listening on um, MTech that we have to read all of that information off. So appreciate everybody's patience. But uh, speaking of long uh, text, buddy, I feel bad for you. You're going to have to read question number five. And uh, this this one's a doozy, man. It's like three pages long. I had to, I had to really work to get it all on one page. Well, this last one comes from Steve Swearing from Pleasant Hill, Iowa. Steve says, it has come up a few times lately about people asking questions regarding throw and grow food plots. Your answers seem to always turn into a pissing match about roller crimpers and so forth. Well, Steve, one thing I appreciate about you is you don't beat around the bush. You throw her out there, buddy. Um, he says, I have heard you say that in proper conditions, seed can be thrown out and it will grow. I would like to see you talk a little bit more about this. I have been making food plots with no equipment except a weed whip and backpack sprayer for 10 years or so now, and I have come up with a way to make it really work well. I start by spraying my area first thing in the spring, spraying the area I want to plant right after spring green up. I will then spray again about a month or so later, then a third time in the fall when I plant. I personally like to plant turnips and forage radishes sometime in the fall timed with rain, sometimes earlier and sometimes later. I seed this light to ensure I get good bulb size, especially for the radishes as they will help loosen up compaction in the soil for year two. Then I go in and fill in the rest of the plot with winter rye. I've had great draw to these properties year one. The winter rye really helps to choke the weeds out as well. Then I can go in beginning of year two and frost seed clover into that. I have one right now I planted this spring with real world clover, and it looks as good as any clover plot anyone else I know has. Feel free to reach out and I'll forward some pictures. Now I do understand that timing on planting with rain is a must. I have a very flexible schedule, so I am able to make it work. I think this is something that you should dive in a little deeper on because there are a lot of people and young guys, especially who may have the time and motivation to do work, but may never have an ability to work dirt. My feeling is your previous answers to these questions may make some people who don't have all the big toys think that food plots aren't something they can do. And I know for a fact that just is not true. I know it isn't for everyone due to timing constraints, but there are plenty of folks that I think could greatly benefit from this technique or something similar to it. Thanks for everything you guys do for the hunting world and Lester's feet. I look forward to picking up my new truck from the <laughs> raffle really soon. God bless and let's go, Brandon. Well, Steve, can we first talk about roller crimpers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Steve brings up a, a great point, and I, I want to start with the idea or, or the fact that I think a lot of people misunderstand or or interpret different terms differently so when when i talk about throw and grow I, i'm talking about not no prep has been done and what steve has described here he's doing prep he's spraying and he's got a he's using a weed whip to knock weeds down 
And absolutely, that's a great way. In fact, you know, I just talked last week about spraying the, the plots on Terry's Illinois lease property. And I think the best way that, that we're going to have success on those plots this fall is, is pretty much exactly what you've described here, except maybe on a little bigger um, scale with uh, ATV sprayers. And, and we went in and we sprayed those plots. And, and what I'm thinking we do is we go in and we spray them again um, right before planting time and then just broadcast the seed on top of the ground which th there's a lot of seeds that'll work fine if you get a rain on them and which steve has mentioned oats rye or a couple of them the, the plot topper blend is another really good one so what i'm thinking we should do on on terry's lease is go in there do that second spring broadcast the seed mix and then come in with a mower and mow down those dead weeds after the spray has killed them and put a layer of thatch over the top of that seed and also that mower will, if there's any seed hung up on those dead plants or whatever, it's going to knock it off and get it to the ground. And you absolutely, but in my view, what you described is not throw and grow. Um, throw and grow, in my opinion, is zero prep has been done to that plot. So uh, the reason I use this question is there, there's very likely other listeners out there who have the same idea that Steve does that that we're promoting, you know, plots grown with tractors and bigger equipment and such, and that we're forgetting about the little guy. We absolutely are not forgetting about the little guy. In fact, you know, I, that's how I started. I, I I planted a lot of food plots walking with a hand crank spreader through the plot. I, I planted plots with a hand sprayer. You know, going out there and spraying the weeds with a hand sprayer and such. So, so I've done it that way, and there's situations today where I still might do that. But uh, so we're not forgetting the little guy. But the big thing is, when we talk about throw and grow, we're talking about the idea that absolutely zero work has been done to that plot before the seed is spread. And, and I think that's the way. Yeah, there's actually a product called Throw and Go, which was what we were referencing. Um, I think that's the first mis misunderstanding here, where you literally tear the bottom of the bag off and walk through the woods and drop seed on, you know, open wood cover is what the stuff is made for. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I, I think it's a it's a great question, and I wanted to, the reason I selected that question is I wanted to clear that up for any listener who thinks that we're only promoting plots being planted with tractors and big equipment. That's not the case at all. I mean, you can go out there with a little garden sprayer and, you know, a, a string trimmer and you can make a really nice plot, which Steve has been doing. So, uh, you know, anybody else that has that idea, don't, don't think that we're looking down on you that we're forgetting you. No, Steve. I mean, let's, we've both been to where we've had to, you know, before we had equipment, I've sprayed a two acre bean field with backpack sprayers before. So Steve, I tip my hat to you, buddy. There is no excuses. You, you have found a way to do it. You've worked hard and, uh, your process that you laid out. Um, I can't, I can't suggest anything different, but to, to, to the bigger picture here is, is most people, in today's society do not want to be part of the process they want to be part of the outcome steve's not one of those guys he's diving into the process of what that is because he's even talking year one year two big plan big picture here 
and finding a way to get it done. Unfortunately, uh, most people falling for gimmicks is what we're trying to discourage people from doing is just being, oh, well, I'm going to open up a bag, dump it out, and um, and that's it. You know, I don't want to be part of the process. I want to be part of the outcome. But, uh, Steve, tip my hat to you, buddy. Um, well done. Yep. All right, with that, um, let's take a, a couple minutes here and talk about the buck behind you. But um, this is going to be really poor footage for the people watching on YouTube. But the way the screen's cut... I'm going to ask Don to pick his laptop up and kind of show a little bit more of that buck. And then uh, I'll get him to text me some pictures. Whoa, that's really choppy. Um, we'll text some pictures and lay over uh, for the people watching on YouTube. So, Don, let's talk a little bit about this buck. Describe him for the people listening. That way they, they since they can't see him. And uh, the story behind it and the lesson learned from this one. Well, this buck was shot in 1986. And I remember that that year because that's the year Robin and I first started dating. So it's pretty easy for me to remember that buck. So you had um, a mullet. I had a mullet, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to show a picture. Actually, I, I showed a picture of this buck on my social media a couple weeks ago. I've been uh, on Thursdays. I've been posting old photos, throwback Thursday photos on my social media. And, and this buck was actually featured here a couple weeks ago. And the story behind this buck is I shot him two days after the first Illinois gun season. So our gun season in Illinois is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before Thanksgiving. And then they take a break, and then a couple of weeks later, they have another uh, weekend season. So the, uh, the first gun season had just ended, and it was two days later on Tuesday. I was... There was a sanctuary where no hunting was allowed, where a lot of deer would pile in. And with gun season over, I figured that no hunting area had a bunch of deer in it. Well, I had permission to hunt a property right next to this sanctuary. And there was a finger of woods that, that came out into this cornfield where I had permission to hunt. And I was basically hunting on the, the last tree on this little wooded point. And that afternoon, it was probably 30 minutes before dark, a group of about a half a dozen does and fawns fed out from that sanctuary cover into the cornfield. They followed that little tree point where I was sitting and just a couple minutes behind him, this buck come. He's an eight point buck, scored 140 inches. He follows them does out right past my stand. I put an arrow in him and the whole group of deer ran out across the field away from this sanctuary area and they all ran into another little patch of cover across the other side of the field. And I knew I hit the deer just a little bit back, um, probably in the liver area. And I, I didn't want to take any chances whatsoever. So I just let it go. I sit in my stand until dark. Um, I, I didn't want those deer to see me climbing down or anything. Um, I, I climbed down. I came back the next day with a couple of friends. We went into that little patch of brush where I seen the deer run. And within five minutes, we found him laying there. Um, had hit him through the liver just like I suspected. Um, he looked like he had just laid down in his bed and laid his chin on the ground, and that's how he died. Um, but that's the story from 1986. And uh, I'm going to send Terry a good photo to uh, to share on the uh, on the YouTube page, and also probably the cover for uh, 
or, or the thumbnail for this video. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great story, but looking back on it right now and your history of your hunting career, what, what was the one, the one takeaway that it's just like, um, it, it kind of was another little uh, tool in the toolbox from this book. Well, I, I was at that point, I was a long way from knowing what I know now. But there was a couple of things that, that really I, I was picking up on at that time. One was you, you got to figure out where these deer are, are bed and where they're spending their daylight hours. And, and I, I figured those deer were in that sanctuary. Um, there, there was more than one good buck staying in that sanctuary. It was, it was a fairly large acreage. Right. Um, so, so that's one thing I was doing right. And then, um, you know, hunting that it was late in the rut and, uh, I just, Steve and I just filmed a video on this the other day, but, you know, late in the rut, um, those bucks are really searching for does because they've got more downtime between hot does. It just takes longer to find each one because there's fewer of them. And uh, I right. knew these deer were coming out and feeding in this cornfield and that, that uh, if there was a group of does that came out, more than likely there was going to be a buck come along as well. So just a couple of takeaways is one, you got to hunt those deer where they spend their daylight hours and, uh, you got to realize, you know, what stage of the season you're in that happened to be the tail end of the rut. So plan your, yeah. your strategy accordingly. There are percentages. We've talked about it before. Your percentages of killing a target buck when you're not on the farm where he's bedded is, uh, is drastically reduced. So great insight, great buck. And, um, um, hope people enjoy these segments that we're going to keep bringing to you through the summer. So with that, don't forget to buy your tickets to Lester's feet this week. Um, I'm, I'm got a big surprise for everybody on how much money we're going to raise. So, um, uh, this has been a true blessing to a lot of families and also uh, very rewarding for Don and myself as, as we've seen all this come together. So Don, take us out with the thanks to our sponsors. Yeah, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. God bless. See you next week. Have a good week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, wildlifefarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.